0: episode of Electable sponsored by Indiana Women's Action Movement. Um, we are um, in a timely discussion today um, about the rights of LGBTQ plus community, um, which is uh, a huge and complicated conversation in Indiana. But uh, luckily, I am joined by two amazing experts on this topic, uh, Kathleen Delaney, an attorney in Indianapolis. Uh, who's representing uh, plaintiffs in a um, uh, wrongful termination suits uh, that we'll get more information on and Senator J.D. Ford from Indiana Senate. And uh, what district are you from? I'm sorry, J.D.
1: District 29.
0: 29, great. So um, who has a, a lot of experience with the legislative um, aspect of LGBTQ plus rights. So, um, so I, I really wanna start with you, Kathleen, um, because I want to right away really emphasize Um, the impact of uh, what's happening and the ability of uh, religious institutions to discriminate against LGBTQ plus community
2: members. So tell us about the cases that you're handling now. Okay, great. Um, Again, my name is Kathleen Delaney. I'm an attorney in Indianapolis with the law firm of Delaney and Delaney, and our firm is very is honored to be representing uh, two plaintiffs in two separate cases. We represent Lynn Starkey who spent more than 30 years, her whole adult life working at Roncalli High School in Indianapolis before she was fired for being in a same sex marriage. Um, We also represent Joshua Payne Elliott who taught language and social studies at Cathedral High School for more than a decade when he was fired for being in a same-sex marriage at the direction of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. So we have one case in federal court, one case in state court, and we're trying to vindicate their rights um, in these cases. And from our point of view, there are both legal bases for these claims as well as moral bases for these claims. and. The legal issues are complex and that's part of what we're here to talk about today. But from our point of view, the moral issue really is simple. And that is, this is not how we treat people. And we really should not be discriminating against people on the basis of their sexual orientation. And we don't believe that the church's attitude towards these issues is appropriate or lawful and in the litigation the church is literally taking the position that they're above the law and that the law doesn't apply to them and that they are looking for a license to discriminate against their teachers and this these cases impact not just the teachers who i represent but all the other gay teachers out there, not just at Catholic schools, but who work in Catholic hospitals and all kinds of institutions. Uh, the Catholic Church employs literally millions of people across the country. Uh, it also affects the students who attend those schools and watch as their beloved teachers are are walked out like criminals for no for no good reason after literally decades of distinguished service to the schools. So the students who are part of the LGBTQ plus community have been devastated by what they've witnessed as well. So it, it is a significant problem and we're proud to be representing our clients in these cases.
0: That is amazing. And I and I, I always wonder about young people. I think uh, young people now um, really, it's not like they have a, a false illusion uh, that uh, LGBTQ plus community members are protected. Um, I don't think they have a really naive illusion, but they do have a, a very strong assumption that they should be protected, and um, you know that's just the generation um, that's coming up. Um, um, you know, I worked with young uh, women uh, in middle school, and um, and who uh, one of them came up and you know was able to talk about being bisexual, and I was like, wow, I I don't even when I was in middle school I don't even know if that was a thing. Uh, and it was, you know, but that's how young people are now uh, wholly aware of the, you know, the the nuances of the sexual spectrum. And, uh, and so uh, I can't imagine what those students are going through, because I know that they, they really feel strongly about this issue. So, and, and uh, I, I hope this case goes well. Uh, like you said, um, I think I, think the crux of it is the religious institutions who believe that they can do whatever they want um, and punish whoever they want um, without any recourse. So um, so now, Senator Davey Ford, I want to turn to you for a minute because um, and Kathleen has pointed out to me earlier that this case does not have anything to do with RUFRA, That is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that was passed in Indiana in 2015 and then amended a year later. Um, but it is an important piece of legislation that we live with in Indiana. And so, J.D., I know that you are a historical expert on this. And, you know, I want to ask you first, um, was Rufra, did that have anything to do with your running for state Senate?
1: It it factored in there. um, But, you know, so I ran for the Senate twice, as you know, once in 2014, where I lost by 2000 votes, and then once again in 2018. um, And so, you know, in 2014, when I was running the state actually was uh, taking up HGR 3 and HGR 6, and this was the state's attempt to define marriage between one man and one woman and to put that into the state constitution. Now, that was beat back by um, some grassroots organizers from Freedom Indiana, thanks to all those folks who did, who did that, and in the, in the, in the legislators who casted the vote to, to beat that back. Um, You know, and so that was in 2014. Well, then the very next year in 2015, we saw the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which I think was another mean spirited attempt to try and, you know, beat back the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And so, you know, we saw, uh, we we saw essentially our state uh, go into a tailspin because of the fact that we had those legislators that were pushing these extreme um, views in, in, in the state house. And, you know, you, you go out and ask folks, and I, I just believe that that's not a priority that we should have taken up. And, and that was in 2015. So that was right after I ran in 2014. Um, and then, yeah, of course that factored into my decision to do this again, because I, I just thought to myself, gosh, we need to have more folks in the state house who are going to be pushing policies that better folks. That you know have a good paying job at better schools, you know, be able to put food on the table. We don't need, you know, this bill that's going to, you know, essentially be a license to discriminate against Hoosiers, um, you know. And so, I think for so me, tell us
0: the impact of of RIFRA on you know on Hoosiers. Was it really um like you said the discrimination was um, as consumers or but not as employees?
1: Yeah, you know, so it, it, so it was Religious Freedom Restoration Act is what it was called, right? But it could have been used for multiple things. I mean, you know, we we heard a lot about, you know, businesses shouldn't be forced to to be able to do things, you know, and what we were saying as part of the LGBTQ plus community is that, you know, we, we want to support your business. We want to go in there and give our money to you. But at the same time, we don't want you to turn around and say, well, we don't serve your kind here. You know and so you know we want to be recognized just like everybody else you know you know did and so um you know so essentially it got so bad that you know the Indianapolis Star the largest paper in our state front page said fix this now and so that's how much of a in a tailspin we were we had concert artists pulling up out of here we had Gen Con which is like you know, you can't get a hotel room within an hour of Indianapolis uh, because Gen Con provides that much money and that much people come to our city to celebrate Gen Con. We had the governors of different states banning travel to the state of Indiana because, you know, they, we were seen as a backward state. And so, you know, we had the the economic impacts were just terrible, um, you know, and so, you know, so for me, you know, that fix was essentially kind of quelled everything. To me, it didn't go far enough, but that's okay. I was able to live with it. I was just happy that our state was, you know, being taken out of the national news for how Backwards we were, but essentially it allowed local municipalities to pass an ordinance uh, to have a human rights ordinance if, if they so choose. So we saw Zionsville, uh, part of the district that I represent, we saw Carmel um, already do that. You know, Indianapolis had already had one on the books for in the past you know 10 years prior to that, so they were well ahead of their time. But yeah, I mean, RIFRA was a terrible thing. And I think we are still reeling with the effects. Now, my friends on the other side would disagree with that. But I still think that we're, you know, we still have a little bit of that reputation of us being backwards because of that RIFRA bill.
0: Right. So um, so Kathleen, I think um, your, your lawsuits, let's say, so um, they're, they're based on kind of different laws, the different cases. Um, but should you succeed... What does that mean? What will that mean for employment situations for LGBTQ plus
2: community members?
0: Well, hopefully
2: we will succeed in both cases. And if we do, then the law will be clearer in this area. And hopefully it will discourage the types of discrimination that my clients experienced. Because if the employer's making the decisions about Who to hire, who to fire? Understand that there are adverse consequences for violating the law. Then that creates a disincentive to them violating the law in the next instance. So it it should, would, and could have a very positive effect, in particular for educators in Catholic schools, who many of whom are are working in fear now, wondering if they're going to be the next ones to be fired because these two clients are not the only two (laughs) educators in Catholic schools who are in same sex marriages. I mean, that's just simply not the case. And one of my, you know, one of someone who I don't represent, but the first person to be targeted at Roncalli high school was literally outed by somebody sending her marriage license downtown Mm -hmm. to the Catholic headquarters. And so that type of thing engenders fear among the employee ranks and so hopefully that would also go away if we were able to prevail in our cases.
0: And so um, so now JD is there legislation that you've um, thought of or introduced or you know is there a legislative way to fix this?
1: Yeah and I think going back to what Kathleen just mentioned she touched upon you know that students seeing their teachers being walked out of like criminals you know that really plays on their uh, on on their mental health, right? And we know that LGBTQ students in our state are six times more likely to you know to have suicidal ideations, um, and to have that and to see that and to know that they're not going to be loved or protected is just ludicrous. It's it goes everything against. But the Catholic Church uh, teaches. I'm Catholic. I can openly say that um, I'm a struggling Catholic because you know I feel like every time our the church takes a step forward we take five steps backwards. Um, but you know yes, I did file legislation because you know part of the reason that these um, private institutions educational institutions are able to operate is because of these voucher dollars and we do not have enough uh, regulations, rules, procedures around these dollars. Um, You know, these institutions are benefiting from taxpayer dollars, your dollars, our dollars, um, and turning around and, you know, terminating these folks simply for because of who they are, simply because of their existence, not for performance-based, not because of, you know, it's because of they're in a same-sex marriage. And by the way, that's the law of the land, the last that I checked. So, you know, I I think that it's, we are mixing, um, you know, and our Supreme Court, you know, did take up this issue, um, you know, but their interpretation of it, to me, it just, it's very slippery. Um, They basically said, oh, well, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the, the school's not getting the money. You know, the money follows the student, which then follows, you know, the parents then give that money to the school. So that's how we're able to get through that. Well, but that's, that's the wrong interpretation.
2: But, Senator Ford, I mean, you can fix that in the legislature. You can you can redo the voucher law in order to address the argument that the Supreme Court used.
1: Yeah. And And I tried to do that twice. Uh, Unfortunately, those bills did not get a hearing. And so that's where we need the public. We're, We're all of you who are watching today to speak up to your senator and to your representative to make your voice heard.
2: Right. It should be a condition of qualification for receipt of voucher dollars that you comply with the law of the land. (laughs) <laughs> Pretty basic, you know. What, like, why would you why would you give an an organization money to you know improve their sewers or sidewalks around their property if they're going to not allow per- persons of color onto their property? I mean, it's it's a similar analogy. I see it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, I you know I spent many years in uh, early childhood, and I spent many years um, trotting down to the state house to complain about um, religious based um, preschools. Uh, who did not have, uh, you know, hardly any regulation, uh, and um, and who, um, you know, who got a lot and a lot of state dollars through the uh, early childhood or childcare, care, um, child care uh, CCDF um, uh, funds, and so um, and I guess in this situation, those people could also be uh, firing staff um, who do not, um, you know, comply uh, with their heterosexual requirements. So um, oh, that's very interesting. So okay, so what can we do next? So um, Kathleen, you've given us a couple of ideas, but give us what can we do, um, what can we do specifically to help um, your clients and, and you know in
2: your case? Well, I, I don't know that there's a lot that can be done from you know the Court of public opinion with regard to the legal battles, but, being outspoken on these issues and offering support and encouragement to my clients is certainly valued and appreciated because these are life-changing events. You know, if you, if you get fired because of who you are and who you love for, and for no performance based reason whatsoever, it really can rock you to your core and, and have a ripple effect on your life and your relationships and just your your well-being overall. So knowing that they're supported and encouraged um, is really helpful because there are also people on the other side of this issue and some of them are filled with hate and you know we've had hate mail Hate voicemails, hate emails, and so getting you know the positive encouragement is certainly helpful to offset that type of inappropriate behavior.
0: And in your um, while you're working with these teachers, I, is there any issue coming up concerning students uh, in the LGBTQ plus community? Are they are they also having problems in these Catholic schools?
2: Well, I, if there were a student in a Catholic high school who was a voucher recipient, who felt that he or she, or they were experiencing a hostile environment in school because of their sexual orientation, that student could have a legal claim under Title IX um, of the federal law. And if there are students out there in that situation and they need help, then they should get legal help because that, that type of a case could be another way to go at the voucher program.
0: Wow, well, that's something we can do. I mean, that's something we can look out for and talk about with students uh, and families. And so tell me, what are the next steps now uh, in your cases?
2: Well, (laughs) so uh, in both cases, The local archdiocese has brought in lawyers from Washington, D.C., from a nonprofit issue-oriented group called the Beckett Fund, and they are handling the case as if it were a religious crusade, (laughs) literally. Um, That's how it feels on our side of the V. So, they file motion after motion when they lose they ask for reconsideration when they lose that they ask for immediate appeal when they lose that they try a writ of mandamus i mean they're pulling out all the stops and in my view really stretching the bounds of acceptable procedure Um, so they are doing their level best to slow the pace of both of our cases and drag this out as long as they can. And, uh, there are are strategic reasons for them to do that. And so we just have to be patient and, you know, let the the courts have the time to get it right. Um, but then layer onto that, the COVID pandemic and the courts being closed and we have this clogged funnel of cases and trial dates getting backed up. So, um, we're in a, a waiting and holding pattern at this, precise moment, um, waiting on legal rulings in both cases. Uh, But we do have, we have a trial date in August for Lynn Starkey's case, uh, but the Archdiocese has already moved to postpone the trial again, uh, and that's gonna have to be decided in short order. So there's nothing going to happen tomorrow or next week, um, or there or there could be because the the courts get around to ruling on their own timetable and it's not opaque to us. So not really sure when the next big ruling will come out, but that's what we're waiting for.
0: Okay, so I want to um, bring up this other topic now, and um, and JD, I don't know if you have had. I'm sure you're both aware of this, what's happening. And when you mentioned this national firm from uh, Washington, it reminded me um, about um, some people are calling them purple people. And I'm not sure where that comes from or what the ideology of that term is. But um, there's um, some nationalized organizations who are going around to school corporations and school boards, and, um, and getting parents to, um, you know, speak out against critical race theory. But but even more than that, because I'm staying on topic today, um, they are asking parents to submit forms where they opt out of any information being um, shared with their child about LGBTQ community people or anything, um, and also about um, reproductive health, of course. And so um, I, it was really alarming to me. I, I had really looked into the case that was in uh, um, Hamilton County, Clay Schools. and. Uh, it seemed like they, they were, all of a sudden they came from nowhere, and then I looked at their website and I'm like, wow, this is a really well done website. You know, somebody spent some money on this and really dug into it more. And and their call to action to parents was to bring your child to school late, and when asked about it, to tell them that you're late because you don't want your child to participate in any SEL or um, or other, of course, critical race theory um, uh, education. Um, And as part of that, they want to also, uh, as I said, uh, to ask parents to fill out these forms, uh, opting out of any information. So J.D., what, 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 what the, you know, what the.
1: Yeah, so can I back up and say uh, that when Kathleen was talking about that Beckett Fund, you know, the Indianapolis started a, an article on you know the tactics that these people are using. Now, don't forget, these folks are called God's Rottweilers, right? Because that's mm. how they are. You know, they're just always you know, I guess the attack dogs uh, for the religious right. So, um, so let's let's I want to be make sure, sure. that no. we put sure. that out there as well. So, but you know, this this critical race theory stuff is a manufactured to get everyone all fired up about something that really isn't much of anything. you know critical race theory and maybe Kathleen would know this this is a law school class this is an upper graduate level school class. you know I've spoken to the you know superintendents in my area they said Senator Ford we are not teaching this you know and so so really you know what this boils down to is to get everyone all hyped up for the 22 elections as well as a money maker for my friends on the other side. That's what this boils down to and you know for me you know those purple parents they suffered a huge loss at the state house i mean they were at the state house pushing you know a pretty pretty uh, terrible bill on uh, the t- the bill was called harmful materials for children and so of course you're like gosh we got to do everything we can to protect our kids but then these these parents come in there and the and the testimony is so charged up and you know, you walk away and you're, even myself, I walked away, I was like, oh my gosh, we gotta do something about this. But then you start to look into things and you, and you, and you start to look into their examples and, and their examples don't add up. And one of the tactics that these purple parents do is that they will go to the school board early. They will sign up for the first 20 slots to speak They, you know, they put their purple shirts, you know, and take up all the seats. So if you're a parent and you happen to just stumble into the board meeting that day and you think you're, oh my goodness, what's going on? You know, so I I will simply say this, if it seems organized, it is, follow the money. And in, in this particular case, in the Carmel case, Uh, the Carmel situation, uh, the unified Carmel folks uh, had their paperwork filed with the Secretary of State's office by a Chicago-based attorney who is a total uh, person that believes in the Federalist uh, Society and, you know, and and all this other uh, far-right, you know, stuff. And so, you know, I I just think that, you know, unfortunately, uh, the folks that I represent in Hamilton and Boone Counties, and you know in my my senate district they're onto these folks and they're not going to have it and and i think we'll see but but can i take that a step further and say absolutely yeah i think this is a a a very well thought out battle plan Mm -hmm. to further take money away from our public schools because like you just said i don't want my kids learning about that so that's why we need to put more money into our private schools and give more money to vouchers And I also think we'll see school board elections be very partisan. Now we've never had partisan elections for school boards in Indiana because our our thought and philosophy was, well, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be politics. It shouldn't be a Republican or Democrat issue. We should just educate our kids. But now because of this critical race theory, I think we're going to start seeing uh, that be a partisan election next year.
0: Well, and I agree that you know, I mean, and you're absolutely right. And the critical race theory is the top one. But I think it is lumped in with, I think the LGBTQ uh, oh, issues are going to be part of that, you know, strategy. Um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And of course, reproductive health issues as well. So, and I, and I've mentioned it before, but I was surprised, you know, when I was out last year, um, recruiting democratic women to run for state legislature. I was, uh, I happened to meet a young woman and I was telling her what I was doing and she goes, Oh, I do that too. I said, Oh, really? You're recruiting people to run? She said, Yeah, I recruit people to run for school board. And I was like, Oh, well, that's so interesting. And so I took her card. And as you would just as my little paranoid mind would think, and it turned out, yeah, she's working for a large for profit corporation that runs and owns a bunch of charter schools. And Mm -hmm. so they're, you know, hiring staff to go out and recruit people who, uh, who support charter schools to run for school board. So um and that you know so yeah they they're on the case uh which is you know frightening it's just frightening but okay. um but I but I, I guess I I guess what I'm saying is I worry that um you know I mean I think we're kind of on top of this critical critical race theory it is I mean you know I went to law school I don't I've n- i never heard of critical race theory in law school <laughs> so I don't know um you know maybe I was sick that day anyway but um <laughs> uh but I can't imagine um you know, I mean, people seem to be onto this, you know, like at the Clay High School, the, the, the lovely outcome was that parents would not have it. They showed mm-hmm. up and they put that stuff down. Uh, they said, we're not doing that. So yeah, okay. that's great. And I think that is going to be what happens. Um, but, um, you know, but I worry about, you know, the next issue. So the next one's going to be the LGBTQ uh, issue. That's going to be rolled into that strategy. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I don't, and I know as... Uh, are you the only LGBTQ community member member in um, in the state house or in the senate?
1: Yeah, the only the only one in the general assembly. It's a it's a very wow. lonely role. I well, don't have more friends, but but, but, but I definitely only, have a lot of allies.
2: I'd and be only- willing to bet you're not the only one. You're just the only one who says it out yeah. loud. Right, the only out. Uh, person. Yeah. So, well, that's great. And so
0: I, you know, I want to ask, you know, how is it, how is it as every, you know, is there a problem? Uh, Do you get any bad vibes or is everybody supportive?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would say so. I mean, you know, I'm also our, the one, well, the youngest member of the Senate, so I I do get some microaggressions with the oh you're too young you don't know or you know just stuff like that. But it it just makes me do my homework and you know work harder. Um, so, but for the most part, I have good relationships with my colleagues and you know and and I think what's most important to share is that representation matters and I'm able to yes. go over to my colleague and say why are you filing this bill? Do you know that the impact that you're going to have on kids? particularly the trans kids who, you know, look to us as policymakers to protect them. And, you know, so so ha- up until my arrival, for example, the hate crimes bill, up until my arrival, no one spoke on the Senate floor or the House floor for that matter about how a hate crimes bill could or could not affect me. You know, and so so I think just being able, and I, I'm very proud that, you know, you know Indiana had some uh, targeted anti-trans legislation at the beginning of this uh, session and my friends and advocates and community activists worked really hard behind the scenes so some of that stuff never saw the light of day but but rest assured that stuff is coming back you know particularly next year when it's a uh, when it's election year so I encourage everyone to stay very vigilant on that front.
0: Right that's my fear as well and I just want to say um you are setting such a beautiful example Um, for uh, people in the community to, um, you know, to follow your path to, you know, see an issue, understand it, um, you know, and step up uh, and, you know, and represent for those issues. And I know you always
1: do. A quick shout out to Kathleen, because the stuff that we can't do in the General Assembly, we need good lawyers out there that are willing to take up the fight and fight for our community. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah, this is, um, uh, it is a a lot of incredible work. And I know when you say that they're stalling, um, you know, what part of that is, is actually trying to starve, you know, they're trying to starve you, uh, starve your clients.
2: Oh, (laughs) nobody's going to wear me down or make me give up. That's not in my core. So Mm -hmm. that's not, if if they clearly don't know who they're dealing with, if that's the strategy.
0: That is just incredible. Do you have, are there other um, organizations who are supporting your work? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure who, who Well, are. we
2: have, I mean, we have friends out there. We've had incredible support. Uh, there's a group of the LGBTQ plus group of law students at my alma mater, Indiana University, Bloomington Maurer School of Law has come together and done volunteer research and writing for us as a team, which is wonderful to have backup for our internal team. Um so that's been great. We've had we have collaboration from some nonprofit issue organizations around the country. We get people who um Wrote amicus or friend of the court briefs for us when when the time came for that. So, yes, we're not we're not we're not an island. It's not just it's not just Delaney and Delaney against the Catholic Church at large,
0: <laughs> but
2: but um, not that that wouldn't be enough. But. Right, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, well, that's wonderful. Um, and and I'm and I'm just so glad to hear about your cases and to, gl- and to hear you know your determination and hope. Uh, For those cases, because um, I think so far, you know, the press coverage that I've seen is pretty much like, nope, they got kicked
2: out. You know, they got kicked out. You know, there's there are a lot of nuances to these cases, and the local news media, traditional news media, really doesn't have the reporters or the resources that they used to have. There's no, there's no um, courthouse beat reporter anymore, for example. So Mm. I don't. It's understandable that they kind of take it at the surface level and don't dig deeper to understand. And what what ends up happening is that, you know, the (laughs) there have been two occasions where I have learned about a ruling in one of my cases from a reporter who got a press release from the Beckett Fund when the the court Mm -hmm. order hadn't even hit my email yet. So wow. they're writing stories based upon press releases that are basically copy and paste jobs of press releases with a thrown in comment or two from our side if they if they reach out and get us. So that's the way the reporting is happening. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality that we have now. Well,
0: and that is just frightening to think that um, they have the resources to have a press release prepared before. <laughs> you know so that they can feed it to the press
2: right and get um, you know, ahead from their like perspective all, all that yeah but wow. but yeah i mean that's that's part of their strategy
0: it is well. I, I just admire um, you know your confidence and your competence and your determination <laughs> and um, and I just think that's just wonderful. You're doing a great job. Thank you, and so, and I okay.
2: appreciate you inviting me on and giving us an opportunity to talk about these issues. And I'm honored to be with Senator Ford as well. And I value the work you're doing in the State House. Thank
0: you. Yeah. Okay. Last question, um, Senator Ford. Is there legislation um, that we should look for? Um, coming up in the next session, something we can uh, get our teeth into?
1: Yeah, you know, so right now I'm I'm kind of just, uh, you know, wiping the sweat off my brow from this last session. It was a doozy. I will share that with you. And so I'm looking forward to kind of, you know, figuring out what we need to do for next session. Now, this past session, I did have my ban on conversion therapy, which made national news. Uh, and that is a practice that we need to get out of our state. And so I might have a return of that. I might have a return of the uh, you know, prohibition of, of taxpayer dollars in, in our private schools. So I'm not quite sure if we're going to do that. But, but my focus, what I'd like to, to turn to now, and that is protecting our trans youth. Now, we saw the Supreme Court say that they're not going to take up the bathroom bills. We saw that the Supreme Court, you know, has given us uh, some protect employment protections as well as marriage equality, but the work definitely continues. Um, and, and actually, I do want to give a, a quick shout out to my friends uh, who put on the Carmel, Hamilton County Pride event uh, this past weekend where over 2000 people attended and those were, those were high school students right. that put on that Pride event. And so, so to me, our young folks are leading the way and uh, in, in a big way in some. Uh, so just trying to just kind of sit back and figure out what, so I, I will definitely file something uh, on behalf of the community, just not sure quite yet. So, and, and again, happy Pride to all the folks out there.
0: Yeah. And, and I just want to add to that. I have been keeping track and I am just overjoyed to see um, Pride Fests popping up around this state in yeah. the smallest communities and counties uh, yes. for the first time ever. Johnson County, which isn't really a small county. Um, first time ever Pride Fest. Uh, yeah. Bois County, Tipton County, Grant county. county. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Putnam County. Um, yeah. So, wow. Uh, you know, so from
2: I the 70s. I hope somebody's yes. there getting all those youth to registered to vote.
0: Yes, you're right. I did not see voter registration at that event. I went to your carmel event. That's right.
1: There, there was do- a few, um, you know. Oh, booth. Legal
0: Women Voters was there.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there OK,
0: were, good. There, they were doing it.
1: I don't know if everybody was doing it, but there were some. Uh, but you're, Kathleen, you're right. And I think that's another yeah. good, important message is that if this community was registered to vote, we would be a powerful voting block um, in our state.
2: Not not just register, but actually showing up to vote. Right, (laughs) register
0: (laughs) and show up. Yeah, those are two very difficult uh, and distinct uh, projects. Absolutely. So, all right, great. Well, thank you both so much. Um, I learned so much, and I uh, unfortunately learned a lot. uh, Learned that I don't know uh, still a lot more, but um, (laughs) but that's okay. This is a great start. So, um, thank you both for all of your great work, and I hope that um, you know. I hope you succeed. And um, perhaps we'll be back again when there's an update can be given. Okay, thank you. Um,
1: thank you very nice much.